Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, we're sitting here talking about life. It's always great sitting in front of you. I feel a different connection when we're doing this in person. It's just a certain peace sitting here chopping it up. And we're talking about the bitter sweetness of life. And as I sit here, I'm feeling a certain contentment, like there are ups and downs to life. Things happen, we go through it, we get out of it. But the whole thing is a symphony. It comes together. It's like the, the darkness and the light, the yin and the yang. All of it comes together and makes a beautiful painting. You can have a painting, you can have any contrast without both sides, without the bitter and the sweet, the dark and the light. I think the challenge that a lot of us have is accepting that because people naturally gravitate towards what's pleasing and shy away from challenge. And we've talked about this, we've talked about the pursuit of comfort, making comfort unattainable because your standards get higher and higher. And so even the the most minor inconvenience becomes something that you can't tolerate. So that's a problem. Uh, When you're constantly looking for what is pleasing, what is pleasurable, it takes you out of the moment. There's always a chase aspect to it. So you're not enjoying what you have. You're not grateful for what you have. There's the aspect of self-development. So going through challenges builds character. It builds strength. It builds that gratitude that we're talking about. So even your ability to appreciate what you have, a lot of times is born of suffering. Maybe gratitude is a mechanism that gets you through it, and that you need to find something to be grateful for, no matter how small, so that you can get to the other side. And then when you come out of it, you carry that, like you carry any kind of physical or mental development. And so all of that is, in a sense, just how it is. It's the nature of life. In a sense, life couldn't be anything else. It wouldn't have the beauty that it has without both the bitter and the sweet. We wouldn't get to the same state of advancement, of evolution, without some challenge. But we shy away from it, and we don't accept it. And it's interesting. We see this, of course, at a gross level where people are always chasing what's pleasurable, what's easy. But you see it even more subtly. And there was a book that I was reading, and the author made this interesting point about Buddhism and meditation, that a lot of times people use the, the meditative model to get to this idea of bliss. So there's this idea that everything's gonna be great. I'm just gonna be walking around with this beatific smile on my face in some state of enlightenment. But that's actually the opposite of Buddhism because that's a form of attachment. And Buddhism is all about non-attachment. It's just observing what's happening from a dispassionate state. So even the more spiritual endeavors have been corrupted to a certain extent because we've lost this appreciation for both the bitter and the sweet and the interplay between them. I was talking to my mom about this, and she has uh, some, some spiritual, uh, I guess, uh, nuns or guides that she works with as part of the ashram that she goes to. And she was speaking to one who was saying, why would you even expect to be happy? Like, who said that you're entitled to happiness? Why do you expect that life is just going to be great? That's a false expectation. It is what it is. And that's a lot of what we talk about, that even if things aren't great, there is another side that you can get to. 
there is a quiet contentment that you can have, even though you're going through the challenge and it doesn't feel good, you're just at peace and you know you can get through it, you know you can get to the other side. You also know when you step back and you look at the big picture, that big picture is something that you want to be a part of. And I would take it a step further. You almost wouldn't want to, want to have it any other way. Anything that you could imagine to improve the way reality is would probably do it a disservice and take away a lot of the benefits that, that we get from this process of, of, of change and evolution. So just some thoughts on this bitter, sweet topic. Kick us off, Z. Yeah, bittersweet. I think, of course, I, I tie everything into in our quantum life. It's all connected. Um, when I think about it from a physiological point of view, right, one of the biggest diseases that we're dealing with, um, of course, is the stress, the obesity, all these things we talk about. And one of the greatest nemesis is sweet things. Too much sugar, too much sugar. Across the world, you hear that dietary issues are inviting into our life poor health. So one of the nemesis of our good health is too much sugar, too much sweet. Everything we want, we want to have a lot of sweetness. And the more sweetness we get, the less sweet it seems. So we need more sweet, more sweet, more sweet. And then, of course, we go into uh, glycemic trauma, diabetes, um, overexcitation of the body. And the cure to that are things like chromium picolinate, bitter, cinnamon, bitter, right? Those are all the remedies. Um, berberine uh, is bitter. So those bitters harmonize so that the sweets don't overwhelm. And then once you have taken enough bitters, because they're not pleasant in that sense, they're not, they don't have that rush, but they have the long-term foundational benefit that you actually experience and feel. But it isn't the bells and whistles and um, light show of sweet. So it requires that level of enlightenment and self-awareness that is very under-exercised in this moment. We think about our interactions with people. The bitter part of a relationship is what makes the relationship enduring. It is the sweet part of the relationship that allows you to endure the bitter. So the bitter part is what is making the relationship have a rich foundation, a sturdy foundation, a strong bonding catalyst. The sweet times are what you remember and what you strive for. But most of the relationship underpinnings are there's a lot of work that goes on. There's a lot of challenges that go on. Avoid those challenges and you end up in the same place as a person who has, not, has diabetes from eating too much candy. It leads you to the same place. I don't want to go through anything. And we hear this more and more as a popular and common social theme. It's sweet, 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 sweet with no liability of bitter. So I'll use that as an example, like physiologically what goes on. And we can just witness it, just go sit down in any 
public through fair, and you can witness the effects of too much sweet. We also know that the sweet rots your mouth. Every kid that's ever went to a dental hygiene school class in elementary school knows the end result of excessive sweets, the rotting of the teeth. I apply that to us, the rotting of the soul. You never are happy. We have higher levels of depression. Why? Because that sense, that, as you mentioned, that people believe they're entitled to be happy. Everybody's entitled to their candy bar. No, you're not. It's not trick-or-treat. It's not a win-all situation. Everybody wins a ribbon. This is called life. You work towards things, and you get a response from that work. That doesn't mean it's going to be just what you want. And so when you think about bittersweet, I would say in all areas of life, follow the formula. The master takes bitters every day because every day is hard. Does that sound dreadful? No. Every day that we awaken as a human being, there are challenges. When we are aware of those challenges, when those challenges are overcome, there is a sense of relief, which we call happiness. If you don't face those challenges, you will never experience happiness. If you never go through that, you will constantly pursue degrees of sweetness. The, the happy, you're on, just on the happy scale. And then what was made you happy yesterday, well, you'll find it depressing today. It's not enough. It's just not enough. I need something else. When we find ourselves within the harmony of bittersweet, you'll find that the mundane becomes the, the, the high point of happiness, which is contentment. It is said in the the scriptures, the Vedas, and so forth, that the greatest type of happiness is contentment. Some people say, oh, that's boring. You hear people that just the routine is boring. Well, you know what? Life is a routine. Being healthy is a routine. Being well is a routine. It's very boring. I want to have boring health. I don't want exciting news from my doctor. Right? I don't want a drama played out when I'm waiting to open up the envelope from the lab. Who wants that? Raise your hand if you want the anxiety and drama of wondering if you'll live longer or begin to suffer from some malady or disease. So that applies to rituals. I was talking to someone about the idea of constancy in, in, in your health regimen. Just do this, whether you like it or not. And even hearing that, whether you like it or not, we have an aversion to how that sounds. Let's think about what that means, whether you like it or not. There are things you do that are part of the general penances of life that you do whether you're happy about it or not. And gratitude is often born of a deficit of the simplicities of life, the mundane. You can think about that again. I could tie it into health. So let's say you have digestive issues. And for some people who don't have digestive issues, it's something they never think about. But for the person who, let's say, has an episode of SIBO or irritable bowel syndrome or something, just having normalcy 
in your bowel schedule becomes a point to celebrate. They have commercials about people celebrating going to the bathroom. Why are they celebrating that? Because they couldn't go. And the pain and the discomfort and the inconvenience made it horrific. And now that they're going and they have a routine, a boring routine, they're happy about it. So that constant flux and flow of joy and sorrow, uh, grief, despair, elation, that is where gratitude is born. Regrettably, I would say, for some, that's where it's born. And I say regrettably for some because if you're unenlightened, you need to go through hell so you can appreciate not hell. I didn't say appreciate heaven. I just said appreciate not being in hell, right? And so that if you're in hell, that heaven becomes anything other than that, and you're grateful for it. But if you are unenlightened, you want more than that. That's what the whole shopping epidemic is about. People don't enjoy what they get. They enjoy getting it. They enjoy the excitement of the purchase, the pursuit of the thing that at one moment fills their mind with dreams of joy. I'm going to get this new jacket and it's very fashionable and people will look at me and smile and it's going to feel wonderful. Well, you get the jacket, you try it on and you don't get what you thought and you say, you know, I need to send this back. It, it, it didn't work out. Yet we also try to pe treat people in our lives the same way. You're hearing this more and more that people are disappointed with people in their lives. You're disappointed with them. What about you? What about you? What, what's so appointing about you? Right? You see, people are disappointed. Oh, I'm so disappointed with my husband. I'm disappointed with my wife. I'm disappointed. What? You're lucky anybody even wants to be in your company. Have you ever really thought about that? What makes one believe themselves to be worthy of such praise, gratitude, adulation? What did you do? Nothing. And so that bittersweetness of life is a realization that we're all very fortunate that anybody wants to spend time with us. Just very fortunate. Just enjoy that, um, that win, right? Enjoy that opportunity for it's fleeting too because you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, that's gone. So that's where I'm saying when we have that gratitude, it helps us digest the bitters of life. It helps us accept it, just like a good health practice. You have your supplements sitting on your shelves. You have that, and that stuff tastes nasty. You ever had to take Chinese herbs? You ever, that stuff is nasty. But damn it, once you get used to taking, you get your routine, you actually look forward to it. Here I go, I'm going to do my teas. I'm going to do my protein thing. No sweets are in it because sweets are not good for you. They are not good for you. They taste good. And they feel good because of what the tricks they do in your body, but they're not part of the foundation of good health. So you take it and you go, okay, I, I did my bitters, now I'm going to have something sweet to kind of wipe out the memory of the bitters. But I'm 
going to be disciplined about my bitters. And then when you start dealing with each other, you understand that there are rituals, the bitter rituals of dealing with people. Maybe you don't feel like greeting everybody after a bad day. You don't look forward to walking through that door, but you do it. You take your bitter medicine because at the end of that interaction, the memory of you was that you always came home in a vibrant way. That's what your kids will remember. I don't know what you, they don't know what you've been through or your family doesn't know what you've been and But you endured. And in return, there is a kind of a harmony mm -hmm. in the home. Well, I'm going to add on to that because I think it's more than legacy. It's more than long-term benefit. It, what I've noticed in myself is a lot of the things that I've got an aversion to doing, but I do anyway. It's almost an immediate benefit. Uh, maybe not that instant, but pretty close to it. Exercise is one that's clear for me. I mean, there are times, like sometimes I'll do harder workouts than others. Sometimes I just won't be in the mood. But I do it, and I feel immediately better afterward. Sometimes even doing it, it feels good. It feels good to move the body, to flex a little bit. Uh, it restores natural movement. Uh, I'm sitting around all day. I'm disconnected. My arms are going one way. My legs another it creates a certain coherence, it creates a certain mental clarity. So all this happens either immediately or in very short order. Uh, I think about going and performing sometimes. Sometimes I'm nervous. I'm like, I'd rather just relax at home because I come back after a day of work, I'm with the family and then I gotta go and go out again and go and do this thing. But I get up and I start performing and, and it's great and I'm in it and it's very freeing. You know, It makes me feel alive. And then I finish, and I just feel good. It's like I've got a high from the point that I finish for the rest of that evening, and that carries through. I think about things like just basic social interactions. Um, I've got a team of people at work, and some days I walk past them. I don't really feel like making small talk, but I do it because I know that they feel connected. They feel like I've got some interest in what they're doing. It's good for the team. And it makes me feel better. It's almost like if I don't do that, there's a feeling of discomfort because it's kind of like you've erected a wall. Suddenly there's a barrier between you and the people around you. There's an impediment. And that can turn into, I wouldn't say a real barrier, but it becomes bigger and bigger over time. Like you stop interacting with someone and then the thought of interacting with them, it's like, oh, what am I going to do now? And it's just a wall. It shuts part of you down. So it's good for them, but it's good for me too because I feel more connected. I feel more a part of whatever community I'm in. I just feel more, I don't know, free is the right word, but there's more of an exchange. There's not that I need to hold a certain part of myself back or exist almost in this virtual glass box where I'm walking around and there's the outside world and there's me. You know, It's more of one continuum, which feels like more of a natural harmonious state. So all of these things I think about, I can extend it to meals as well. And part of it is you have to develop a sensitivity, but um, I guess my diet is better than it used to be. And now if I have cake, sometimes the stuff that people make, it's so sweet, I can't even eat it. You know, or maybe I'll take a bite and, and that'll be enough. So I don't know how much Z is sensitivity. I don't know how much is just this mental obstacle that we built in our mind. Because it's interesting to me, it's like there's so much resistance but why is that resistance there? If we, we see the benefits, of course, the long-term benefits, 
but there are immediate benefits so just in the way that we carry ourselves, we feel about ourselves, when we interact with other people. Well, you said something, the word sensitive, uh, to sense, right? And our senses become more or less um, acute based on the amount of exposure to something, right? And so that loss of sensitivity is one of the nemesis of health and well-being. And when I speak of health and well-being, of course, I'm speaking of the whole being, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And when you hear the term, we become desensitized. Well, really, we become less empathetic, right? It's like you hear so much dread and horror and negativity that that part of your humanity begins to decline, right? That part of you that is empathetic and sensitive. And then the more that you're exposed, for example, to gross hypocrisy, the more tolerant you are of hypocrisy. It's not unlike a person working in a foundry. You know, these guys used to work in these hot foundries. And their hands became less sensitive to the heat of the foundry. So they can touch things that would normally make a regular person draw back because of the, the temperatures enough to cause first and second degree burns. But people working in foundries are immune to that because they've been around that heat so much. So they have become desensitized. And when you use sensitive, I want us to think about that in the bittersweet formulas of life, even the sensitivity to taste. Foods have so much sugar in them, and you don't realize how sweet. So whenever you have visitors from another country, they'll come, and that's one of the first things they notice, is that the sweet almost washes out the flavor of whatever you're eating. Let's say you're having a, a cake or a dish that's a lemon pie or a cherry something. You don't even taste the cherries. You don't even taste the lemon anymore because the lemon is sour. And so there's no lemon taste in it because it's all sweet with a hint of citrusy aftertaste, right? And so that's the same way with consumerism. Do you need more stuff? We don't. I mean, I, if you walk through your home, you ever find these boxes and it's cluttered and, and you have brand new things that you haven't really used, you haven't really uh, tested out because you're, you're going to the next sweet thing. Sweet, like anything, like sugar, is highly addictive. Um, it's an anti-nutrient. It takes nutrients out of your body to process it into energetic units. So too, when you pursue only the sweet things in life, those things eventually will not be sweet anymore and you'll have to add another um, metric of sweetness to it, another volume, another quantity of sweetness to it. So too, when we have difficult conversations, we've talked about this before, it's the difficult conversations that make people closer together. It's the difficult conversations, not the easy ones. It's the going the extra mile that you benefit from. As I talked about last week with fasting. So I'm doing a, a fast until the new year. I'm doing one meal a day. I eat every 24 hours or 22 hours. 
uh, with a two-hour window. So that's what I've been doing. I'm going to do that into the new year. Who knows how long I'm going to do it. I was sharing that with someone, and they were talking about this, don't you get hungry? And you realize that hunger is itself is an illusion. Nobody can really experience hunger until they're at such a caloric deficit that there is no more fat cells to scavenge in the body per metabolic need. The body has a way of measuring that. So what are we experiencing? What we're experiencing is a lull in comfort. Just a lull in comfort. Lesser sweetness in our daily life. Because we're used to extreme sweetness. And again, that sweetness takes out of you in order for it to be processed. So to how we avoid challenging conversations with our loved ones or with friends. It creates a deficit, a deficiency in depth of relationship. You know the old drawing, I speak of it often, is the three vinegar tasters. There's Lao Tzu, there's Buddha, and there's Confucius, all drinking out of the same uh, drum of vinegar. Each of them has a different expression on their face. The vinegar is a metaphor about life. You see the sour, the pungent, and the bitter. So bitter can also be very bland. Also can be bland. It's inert. It, 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 has, it has no particular taste. It has that bitter. Because you can't really describe the taste of bitter. Is that right? You can't really describe it. You could point to objects that are bitter, but they're stringing. They suck out poison. They do all these amazing things. So too with people you deal with. There's always, I was sitting with my best friend, one of my best friends, Kev, and he was telling me about, as I always speak about his health concerns, he shared with me in a very warm way his concerns with me. He said, you go too much. Um, you give without limits of your energy and time. And he said, Z, we're getting up there in years, and I know we have a different way that we look at years and time, but I want you to have time just to be with you. So I hope this year that Master Z retires so my friend Z can live. It was hard to hear that. He was absolutely right. It was very hard to hear. It was very bitter. Yet, the sweetness was, this is my friend since I was a little boy. He had a warm and kind of dispassionate observation of my life. And I could hear it. So I took it more than under advisement. I'm working on that. And so we all want to appreciate the benefits of the bittersweet. As I said again, please remember that the greatest type of happiness is contentment. The endless pursuit of joy and comfort will put you on a, on a, on a rat wheel to hell. You're going nowhere. We see it every day, then. As we drive by, you see these homeless people in this, it's been a cold snap in California, nothing like the East Coast, but enough for California. These people sleeping under tents on sidewalks, doing all that. Yeah, yeah, got a bunch on the beach, right over here. Yeah, finding comfort. 
where if my temperature gauge isn't right, if my sleep comfort bed isn't right, I can't, I can barely sleep. I, there's times when I can't sleep anyway, just because if I haven't done my meditation, if I'm in a rush, if the kids are overwhelming me and, 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 and I have this train running through my head, here these people are snoring. Yeah. You know what you remind me of? Hmm. You ever read that story, The Princess and the Pea? Yeah. You're like that princess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, say prince and the pea, okay, so... Yeah, so I, it is. It's similar to that. But all of us have that, that monkey mind, as the Buddha says, the monkey mind. And in order, the only other to tame it is to cage it, restrict its movement. And then we can sit with ourselves. Because we know that if we're in that endless pursuit of the sweet, it'll leave us longing. And in the wee hours of the day, when we should be going into a sleep state, we're longing for sweet. There are people even get up in the middle of the night just wanting something sweet, just a little sweet that is stimulating, exciting, takes you away from your deep sleep. That's the recovery. There are now scientific research papers coming out on dementia, Parkinson, Alzheimer's, and excessively sweet diets, sugary diets, are, as we know now, a nemesis to our long-term brain health, neurological health. But again, we gain greatly from appreciating the bitters of life, whatever they may be, and not taking them as resentment, betrayal, disappointment. Because many people call bitters disappointment. You have a falling out with somebody or a breakup with somebody, and you just see it only as disappointment. Oh, they disappointed me. Maybe in the long term it wasn't a disappointment, but it was just a bitter experience that allowed you to grow. I see people now, when I, I went up to visit my, my, my granddaughter and my nephew, I um, ran into people all the time. A, a girl walked by through the, through the dance center, and she said, Z, hi, how you doing? You know, I heard you were involved in this wellness thing. I looked you up on the internet, and my daughter, who's 29, is in, interested in doing what you're doing. She's going to be going to acupuncture school and blah, blah. I know who the woman was. She's just talking to me like she's known me. And that happens. That's why I don't go there so much. And I started to look. I said, take your mask off so I can see who you are. She had a mask on. She said, it's me, so-and-so. You used to, I used to go to your children's class when I was 11. And your daughter's 29. And you remembered me from when you were 11? Wow. And she kept going on and on until I could kind of piece together. But in her mind, she forgets I was already an adult. <laughs> you know what I mean? So my, I, I didn't really, I vaguely recalled her, but I loved her enthusiasm. And those kind of moments in life are, are as sweet as it gets. As sweet as it gets. I don't, I don't need more. I don't need more sugar. Actually, it was kind of overwhelming. It was almost too sweet because a lot of things came up. For one, however old she was, I hadn't seen her since she was 11. She has a 29-year-old daughter, and she had gray hairs in her head. So what does that say to me? You talk about a humbling experience. 
I got to tell myself you're older than you think you are compared to everyone else in a relative scale, right? I am a senior citizen, right? That's weird. No, no, that is bitter. It is a bitter reality. It wasn't bitter. I thought you didn't buy into the whole aging narrative. I don't. I don't in that sense, but it's still in the sense of if you're eating candy and you open a box of treats, that's a bitter one. <laughs> because it, it, you, it, you reflect. No, I have a different view on maybe aging and, and the way to be healthy and well, obviously. But there are certain truisms about a clock and a calendar. You're going to get so many clocks and calendars in your life. You're going to go around the moon so many times. You're going to go around the sun so many times. A mammal on our known earth is allowed a fixed number of heartbeats in its lifetime. Every mammal on earth that has a heart is allowed so many beats in a lifetime. The heart is a fixed pump. So the healthiest of mammals has a lower heartbeat a lower stress, a lower uh, heart rate, I should say, beat per minute, right, right? Boom, boom. So in order for you to live, let's say, say you want to live to be 150, your average heartbeat needs to be about 25 beats a minute. So work towards that. Then you'd be like Baba G or Deathless Saint, one beat a minute or something like that. But you get X billions of heartbeats in a lifetime. And I know I've used up a lot of minds with all the stuff I've been doing, right? If I can maintain 60 beats a minute or 55 in the course of a day, I'm doing pretty good. But the minute something gets me worked up, it's rushing up into the 70s. So that's time. Your heart beats are time. That's the metronome of life. So when I reflect and I speak to people who I knew as young children and they're in their late 40s and 50s and all this kind of stuff, and I'm still older than them, as, I, yeah, yeah, it's like, this is a wake-up call. You better get certain things together. You better get your stuff in order. Um, but that doesn't mean you're not going to be healthy and well and following the mycenturyproject.com thing. But there is that reality. My thing is I want the, to take that bittersweet lesson and make the sweetest of these moments. I want to make the best of whatever, let's say if all works out and I make it as long as May's mom did. May's mom lived to be 99. She died at 99. So I'm right behind her, right? 24 years behind her. I hadn't seen that little girl in 34 years. You see? And it was like yesterday for her. What will be the next yesterday for her? That'll be me used to be here. So that's all. It's just a humbling thing. It's not a fearful thing. So those are, those are like the bittersweet ways of looking at life. It's, I think about people who uh, work on their relationships, right? And there's the bitter part of, I was talking to a therapist, one of the most bitter parts of relationships is get people to not blame other people. 
take their responsibility first. That's bitter. It's very bitter. It's easy to blame another person or complain about another person, but not your role in it. A bitter thing about, example, we talk oftentimes about tribalism and the false narratives around race, ethnicity, all these something. One of the bitterest things to do is to self-critique. Let's say you take the issues of the day that are going on and you take responsibility, not pathologizing other groups, but take responsibility. The bitter things about life now is called the truth. The truth is bitter. It serves neither the asker nor the teller. Right? That's the truth. The truth is bitter. If you hear something and it makes you feel good, it's probably not the truth. It's maybe a quiet calming, a contentment that, that, that you had it correct. But it's not something that's elating. Because, for example, in the Islamic tradition, they refer to the scimitar. That's the sword they use to behead people, whatever, in the ritual executions. And it has a blade on both sides. It cuts going and coming. It cuts even the person that wields it. So there's that, that bitter. But at the end of the day, it's supposed to promote fair play and justice. It doesn't work out that way because human beings get involved. I think one of the bitter lessons in life <clears throat> is we, <clears throat> one must police themselves. One must audit themselves. If you're a part of a group or a nation, <clears throat> a political party, a religious affiliation, before you go out and point the finger at other people, ask the bitter truth about your belief, your group. Did they do that? Something that I see now in, in the common media is different groups promoting their group's rights and so forth, whoever that group is, be it the alphabet people or ethnic people or religious people, and they're promoting their view. I say, can you self-police? Can you self-audit? Can you look at the failings of your own ideology, your own group, uh, and see what did they do wrong? What horrors did they visit upon humanity? Take care of that first. Manage that first. And once you've completely managed that, then go outside and start cleaning. Clean your house first. Then clean your neighborhood up. Then clean your city up. But don't leave the filth of your house and go out and say, oh, let me fix the world. Let's do, do you first. That's the bitter part. If you have pr problems with the people you work with and all that, do your therapeutic intervention first. If you're a good advisor or a good um, kind of good at, at pulling your ego out of things and you can direct a person um, in that, that bitter way, here's what we need to do. Here's the conversation we need to have. Be a willing example of what you'd like to see an improvement in. The truth is bitter. And we have now have mechanisms in the world that if you don't like the truth or the pursuit of truth, 
then you can just say it's hate or deny it or anti this or anti that. And the conversation's over. And we just get the candy. The teeth rotting, kidney dissolving, diabetes inviting sweetness of life. You follow me, Vin? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like the people who drink Mountain Dew all day and you end up with no teeth. Yeah. And then you can't even eat because you don't have teeth. And it leads to all sorts of problems. I think that you take the truth as an example, but you could extend it to bitters more generally. If you don't have that, there's no contrast. And we opened up on this note that you see anything beautiful, there's a certain harmony to it. You need that contrast. You need, you can't just have a dish of salt. If you stuck your tongue in that, you would spit it out. It would be disgusting. You can't just have easy experiences because you don't achieve anything. Your life has to be about something. What, what are we here to do? What's going to bring us that contentment that we talked about? I mean, maybe it's a bit of a cycle. Like, we have to be content baseline. But to feel that contentment and to feel that sense of satisfaction with just existing, we have to make good use of our time. We can't waste it on things that are momentarily pleasing, but add nothing to ourselves, add nothing to humanity. If we only hear the things that we want, we never evolve. We never go forward. You looked at me, or you looked at a picture I showed you of me from 20 or 25 years ago, and yeah, yeah, you started crying. You said that, how did you do this? How are you healthier and younger looking now, 25 years later, than you were at that point? And I'm, I'm just thinking about this right now, because I actually didn't think too much an hour ago when we talked about this. But there was a lot of pain along the way, like a lot of difficult truths about myself that that I had to acknowledge, maybe that were latent, that were always bothering me that had to surface. And some of those very viscerally propelled me into a better state. I mean, I remember the whole reason, I won't say that I met you, I met you before I started on rearranging my life about 10 years ago. I'd met you briefly with my mom and my sisters. And at the time, it was the same sort of thing. You told me something I didn't want to hear and I dismissed it. But also I wasn't looking for a path. I wasn't looking for yoga. But then I got on this path anyway. And it was born of pain. It was just born of my my daughter being born. And yeah, it was a few things, but one of the biggest catalysts, my, my first daughter. And me looking at her and taking all my insecurities about myself and projecting them on her. And just being in such pain for doing that, that I was like, I... How can I look at my girl as defective because I see myself as defective? I got to fix myself. And, and it wasn't an easy process. I mean, I, I felt maybe I was at a point where I felt that I had no other option. I had to, to do something. Um, but still, it wasn't easy. There, was, there were tears involved. There was reflection involved. There was a restructuring of my life, my priorities, my routines, the way that I think about myself, the way that I approach life, I had to free myself of a lot of the conditioning that that I never even questioned up until that point. And part of it was reflection, maybe part was conversations with you. Um, but if I never wanted that, if I'd always just wanted affirmation, where would I be today? I'd be in that same state. I think you described me as a frumpy uncle. So maybe I'd be doing that, and maybe I'd be choking on everything that I was holding in. 
everything that was never fully expressed, fully resolved, would be eating me alive. And then the only way to deal with that is, I, I guess there are three ways to deal with it. Either uh, it comes out in some kind of violent, or when I say violent, I don't mean literal violence, but some explosive outburst, people break down, or it slowly rots you on the inside. Or maybe to manage that, you, you medicate and you desensitize yourself, as you've been saying. You just do things that are frivolous, that are mindless. Uh, that's where the mindless entertainment comes in. The alcohol, the drugs, the constant stimulation, it desensitizes you to what you're feeling inside. And I think that's a lot of what we see. Uh, we, we look at the world and we see people who are in this zombie-like state where we've got legions of the walking dead. Uh, there, there's no passion, there's no confidence, there's no projection of, of health or vitality. But a lot of that, I, I can't speak for the world, I can speak for myself. But part of the reason that I feel I've been able to avoid this is because I went down that different path. And I was okay doing things that were hard and uncomfortable. Uh, and maybe that's changed the way that I approach life. I mean, now, now I look for more of those. Because you start seeing the effects, you realize this isn't something that I should hide from. This is something that I should embrace. And those bitters that we take, as they say again, I, I hope everybody can use that, that old Taoist saying, is that the master takes bitters every day because every day is hard. What are the bitters of life? You, you do your exercise every day. You do something. You walk. You do it, whether you like it or not. Does that sound okay, whether you like it or not? I, I, there are schools of philosophy that only do things you like. The problem with that is that that is kind of the yang aspect of life. And eventually, you're looking for more things you like. You never find contentment or stillness. And then the things that you like or the things that make you happy will become harder and harder to find. Thus, you become some sort of thrill seeker, wanting to do more extreme athlete or extreme Sports, they used to have extreme. You, now you need to base jump or now you need to go splunking and all these things that eventually lead you to more danger, more uh, resource um, um, consumptive things that aren't really, you're never at a point where it's okay. Yeah, it leads to stupid decisions. Like there's a rash of deaths in New York. People who have everything, who are making millions of dollars a year, they're doing cocaine laced with fentanyl. They're dropping dead at the age of 35, 40 years old. So the judgment isn't there. It's just, how can I get that next? Well, the sweet. You want the sweet. Again, I, I hope we all think about bittersweet. Is we want bittersweet. We want the less sweet version of something so that we're not desensitized to the essentials of life. You don't always have to find adventure if your mind is clear and grounded. An enlightened person, or even a person in the pursuit of enlightenment, should never hear the term boredom. I'm bored. A person is seeking the most basic elements of enlightenment should never be compelled by a Black Friday sale. That shouldn't be something that riles you up. You understand? It shouldn't be something that you want to get in line for. 
Think about the day we live in large crowds, uh, over congestion. Why would the enlightened one want to be a part of that? So when you take the bitters, they help you regulate. They give you a better reference of sweet, sour, pungent, bland. It is the bitter that is the regulator of all of that. As we speak all the time about gratitude, you won't be these people that feel constant disappointment with their family, friends, and beloved. There are people that are constantly saying, I need to, as what they, I heard a term in social media they wanted to upgrade. They were talking about high value men and women. Like, what does that mean, high value? I thought about some of that, and it's just like dealing with the diabetic mind. We know of the diabetic body and the ravages. What about a diabetic mind? Well, you hear these stories about people judging the value of another person based on some arbitrary standards of high quality and low quality. So we know that divorce rates have gone way up in recent times. The idea of people being forever single is now becoming pretty average, pretty normal because of this aversion to bittersweet. There are these on and on stories about um, marrying up and marrying down. I mean, just bizarre, like more sugar or less sugar, more sugar or less sugar. And then I think about people that I know that are very happily married, very content in their relationships. And it crosses the spectrum of socioeconomic groups. I see my neighbors who just seem to have an abundance of family and get-togethers and I, 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 there's out of the group of maybe 50 of them, there's been one or two divorces. So their divorce rate is about 4%. About 4%. They're all over the scale financially. Most of them are, are, are in the lower middle class financially. The elder people have been married in excess by the time they're 70, they've often been married or partnered up for 50 of those 70 years. So what can we who are into high value, low value, this and that, what, what, what can we teach them about partnering? But we can't teach them anything. They can teach you. They, they didn't judge their partner based on these metrics that they all have out there, these sweet metrics, right? And we hear it every day. You, you, if you, since we've been doing this experiment in understanding social media, you hear about the woman that's 5'2 and four kids and 250 pounds and she wants to marry a 6'5 athlete who makes a million dollars a year and feels that that would be the right partner for her. That's the only one she'll settle. She, th th yeah, that's the term. They won't settle. You know that term. Don't settle. Settle for what? Who are you settling for? Who are you settling for? Meaning, who are you? That you've set some kind of standard above and beyond your own self 
that is your standard. So you just win the prize? You didn't work on yourself? You didn't bring anything to the table? You didn't do any therapy? You didn't do any trauma relief work? But you want some Frankenstein together perfection? For those of us who've opted out, we don't, we don't go for that. I look forward to the bitters. It's kind of like with fasting. After you've fasted for X number of hours, there are things that happen in your body. I talked about this. Autophagy happens in your body. Your body starts to break down and consume garbage in your body. You go through a period of time, a few hours of your breath reeking because your body's eating up garbage and converting it into useful fuel. It's burning away unhealthy fats and, and all sorts of toxins in your body. That's the bitter part. The sweet part is, my God, you're healthier. You're clear. Your digestion's working better. Your mind is healthier. You've relieved your body of gluttonous energy, right? But unless you're willing to embrace the bitter as you would the sweet, you'll never experience that. So now you're trying other alternatives to good health when the easiest thing is just take the medicine. Take your medicine. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I do follow you. Uh, in a sense, it's very simple. I think a lot of what we talk about, what's interesting to me, people know this. I mean, this isn't new ground that we're breaking. Uh, people we've talked for years in various forums, whether it's spiritual, whether it's secrets of a successful life. Uh, there are common themes that come up. Uh, you, you need discipline. Uh, you need to rein yourself in. You need to commit to what you're doing, focus on the process, not so much the result. Uh, the idea that immediate gratification is not an illusion. I mean, you can get it for a while, but you get that at a cost and you can't organize your life around that. But it's just like we forget, and we forget over and over and over. And maybe part of it is this culture of entitlement that we've built up. And maybe part of it is the easy access of technology, how everything is on demand. You order, you can get something from Amazon in a few hours. Uh, it's very easy to shop. It's very easy to tune in to whatever kind of entertainment you want. You can order drugs to your apartment whenever you want, and some guy on a scooter will come and open a case, and you can take your fentanyl or your cocaine or, or whatever. So maybe it's the world, uh, the world combined with the culture. But yeah, man, I would say we, we got to step back. And for me, it's really a question. I think what keeps me grounded is to say, well, what am I doing here? What would I want to achieve and what's required to do that? And when I think about life that way and I think about the finite nature of life, I mean, I'm here for a funeral. Uh, we've lost someone in the family, another reminder that this journey we're on is going to end and it can end unpredictably and tragically. And if I think about that, I think about my children, maybe it comes back to who we are. What do we care about? And if we maintain focus on that, okay, now I know what I care about. What do I need to do to achieve it? I need to show up. I need to show up. I need to get into the routines. I need to do things that maybe feel uncomfortable, but it doesn't matter. I'm not going to question it. I'm just going to do it. And the reward of the bitters is far exceeds the reward, the short-term reward of the sugar. Because when you are versed, comfortable with bitters, you find sweetness in places you didn't find it before. When I was visiting uh, my grand this, this weekend and I had dinner with friends, 
Um, as, as I said, my dear friend May lost her mother. Though her mother lived to be a great age of 99, as soon as I saw May, I gave her a big hug and, and said, I'm, I'm, I'm sad for Ma. And she just started to cry, strong woman, just to cry. And she said, I know you understand. I know you understand. And she knew it, and she felt loved and cared for in that somber moment. But then little things went on in that same interaction that were so beyond beautiful in that bitter moment. I went to pay for the meal, and the lady in the restaurant who's known me for 47 years said, your friend already took care of it. I said, who took care of it? So as soon as Phil and May walked in, they took care of the bill before they even sat down for dinner. I didn't even know, just as a gift. And I hugged May. I said, no, May, you didn't have to pay for it. We have a cover. She just looked right, right in the eyes. As only a martial artist, Chinese Medal of Honor winner, could look at you in the eyes and say, you are my brother. You are my brother. I want to do this for my brother because I lost my mother. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How sweet that was. How sweet. I needed to do something for my family my heart is broken. My family heals my heart. That's bittersweet. But we can't have the sweet without the bitter. We and regrettably, based on just the ignorance of humanity, why do we have to hurt so bad to be grateful for not hurting? Why do you have to consider the value we have for another person only when they're gone or when we've lost everything? That is the folly of a fool. So let us take our bitters every day and accept that every day is hard. You know what I mean, Vin? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, uh, we're closing out the year. I mean, we're all moving into 2023. That can be at the top of the list. That's right. That's right. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.